Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, the first episode for 2020. As usual, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Rohan. Hello. Hey, how's it going? And joining us also from East Coast of the US is Alex. Hey, Alex. Hello there. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Navicata. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. Now, I said East Coast of the US. Your voice sounds very familiar. Where are you from, Alex? Uh, well, I'm from England. No, I know I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say a self-hosted <laughs> podcast. Thank you. But thank you. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much. We're going to have a, a fun time picking your brain in a minute. Uh, but Rohan, what have we... We've got on since the the holidays. Like it's been such a big break. I know it's a, it's a couple of things. Uh, starting out, HasOS three is released with the official support for Raspberry Pi four. So Pascal and the team uh, launched that, which uh, which supports the RPI four. So if you're using that, then there you go. You can you're good to go. Another change that came out over the the break and probably a big announcement was. Uh, Ring, the video doorbell cameras, had a bit of a security breach, well, apparent security breach, and it sort of played havoc with a lot of home assistant users, myself included. Unfortunately, it's my tether to the cloud. Alex, please don't judge me. (laughs) Uh, So Ring video cameras, they've been in the media, people saying that their accounts have been hacked. And what's actually happened Mm. is, well, Ring have come out and said, look, people's accounts haven't been hacked. It's people reusing usernames and passwords. And they've done some pretty big changes. They've enabled two-factor authentication on the on the Ring accounts, and they've also done some pretty big changes to the API. They've really tightened it up, which has caused a lot of issues with Home Assistant users. So right now, I just installed the beta about an hour ago, and I upgraded Home Assistant, and the Ring component so I, is completely down, and it's over the holidays. They did patches and all that. So if hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, everything's fixed up. But if you are using a, or if you're a Ring user, you're probably already aware of it. There is a, the Ring component is down. It's Ring's aware of it. They've reached out and said, look, we support the Home Assistant community. We're going to try and get something out for you guys, but it's an unofficial API. But yeah, it's one of those Cloud Strikes Backs things again, you know, like all of a sudden Ring's make a change on yeah. the API and... Now my, I can't see who's at the front door. Yeah, bam, everything's broken. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I, I'm a little more okay with this because this is, to me, this is a disruption rather than a, hey, we've taken it down. <laughs> and yeah. that, that's a huge problem for me. But uh, but yeah, I do, I do agree. It still still goes to prove the point, right? And, and, and Alex, I think it proves the point that you you guys try to make on your uh, on your podcast every day, so... That's uh, but kind of along along the same lines of uh, of security breaches and such. Xiaomi actually uh, got taken off of Google Home for a little bit. Now they just uh, sounds like they just uh, got back in. Uh, so they did have some breaches on where people were seeing other people's cameras and such on uh, on their cameras for a second. So when you try and view the camera, you'll see like for example, I'll see. Phil's camera for a second and then I'll see mine while it loads. Um, so obviously pretty large breach of privacy. So, uh, 
Google pulled them off. Xiaomi got their stuff fixed up, and uh, and from what we hear, they're back on uh, on the Google Home. Let that be a warning to all of you. That's right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I think I saw someone had posted a photo of a, a baby sleeping um, in their crib. Like it's just creepy, right? Like I guess that's what happens when you allow cameras into your home and connect them up to the, the cloud yeah so um glad to see that's all fixed up but but again um you know that's the power of the cloud right now right so mm. you got to be you got to be careful what you sign up for too it's not necessarily that i am anti-cloud it's not necessarily that self-hosted is anti-cloud it's right. that you need to try and remain in control of what's going on and yes. both both of these situations just highlight beautifully why relying on a cloud api or, or a company's api is just not going to be a sustainable long-term approach for any you know home automation system let alone a doorbell or a camera you know it's thermostats whatever it is you know it's it's always going to be you're always going to be at the mercy of whatever that company's business model changes to or if uh, some ransomware or whatever it is you know so let that be a warning to you all (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right all right, on to uh, some fun stuff, the, the new the new tricks in the bag that we get this year. Uh, pretty big release because obviously we've had a bit of a break over the holidays, so everyone's had some time off work and been able to contribute to Home Assistant. So 0.104 is out, and there's some new uh, a new messenger platform. It's the Signal Messenger app, which is actually a pretty good privacy-focused messaging app. So if you want to use that for notifications, that's now enabled. Nice. There's also super pet care integration. Um, so if you have, uh, which is, which is kind of cool because I've always been like, yeah, this doesn't exist, but I guess it does. So, uh, you can lock and unlock the, your cat or dog flaps to go, you know, to let them go out, whatever. Uh, and, uh, you can get locations of your pets in your smart home. So there you go. It's kind of handy. That's I was awesome. just thinking about trying to build one of these using some circuit boards from China, but nope. Sure, pet care. There we go. I can do that. That's right. There you go. That's They're right. there. <laughs> just, just, just costed you probably another couple hundred bucks. And yeah, uh, thanks for that. <laughs> That's right. I think they might be cloud based though, so you might need to still create your own. Uh oh. <laughs> um, and if you want Home Assistant to be able to bug you when your printer cartridge is low, that's now possible as well, thanks to uh, Brother Printer integration. So this integration was actually pretty cool. Someone found out that the data that was available or exposed on the network by the printers was just a, a big, long hexadecimal string. And they were able to, you know, decode that and work out, oh, this means that, you know, th- this toner is at this level and all that. And sure enough, now they're all available as sensors in Home Assistant. That's handy. I wonder if it auto discovers it or you have to put the IP in or what you got to do. But mm. that's uh, that's actually kind of interesting. I might try that out later. Also, some, some new uh, HomeKit devices. So HomeKit fans and air quality sensors are now supported. And also on the iCloud front, the uh, you can now use your, or you can now get battery status reports for any of your devices that you've signed in with your iCloud account. So if you've got uh, an iPad or your iPhone connected to your iCloud account, the battery is reported up to Apple every time it syncs. So now Home Assistant can just grab that down and alert you when your battery is about to run out. Yeah, that's handy. The only the only thing I would say about that is you got to be a little careful because I know when you do the iCloud. Uh, so when when I very and this might have changed, but when I first started uh, 
using the uh, using Home Assistant. I used to use the Apple iCloud integration with with mm. Home Assistant to pull my location and all that kind of stuff. It destroyed my battery. Really? Um, on my older phone. So especially if you have an older phone, maybe if you have a newer phone, it might not be as bad because because what it does and and this may have changed again. Uh, but what it uh, what it used to do is it used to basically go in to find my iPhone. So it'll physically log you in, right. go and virtually click find my iPhone every every minute or five minutes or whatever it is you set it to. So but even with this kind of a thing, um, I, I use the Home Assistant iOS app works really well. You can actually pull a lot of those values there as well, uh, including battery uh and so on, like if it's charging or what percent it's at, that yep. those kind of things. Nice. But now at okay. least you can get a notification that your battery's at zero percent. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> m- m- maybe maybe your uh, voice assistant can yell, going, "Hey, go charge your phone." <laughs> so some breaking changes. Um, so there's a bunch of breaking changes this release. So make sure you read through the release notes. Um, so first, uh, the iCloud device tracker, ironically, which I was just talking about, uh, is now moving uh, to its own component. So you can, uh, you'll can you need to upgrade your YAML, use the iCloud platform instead of using the device tracker platform. And one that I got caught out with, and I think it's going to be one that's, I think this is going to be the pain point for 0104. Like if you've got a lot of old integrations or old entities that you've had sitting around uh, and you've just ignored, I know I certainly did. Uh, they're being restored now on Home Assistant Restart. So what will happen is when you boot up 0.104, moving forward, Home Assistant, instead of going in and checking all the integrations, you know, is the ring component online, is, you know, you connected to Philips Hue and all that, it's just going to get all the previous entities and mark them as unavailable. And then as the components come setting up, they'll then get marked as available. Now, the caveat to that is that if you have any old devices in Home Assistant that you haven't cleared out or recycled, they will come back when you boot up to 0.104. And this actually happened to me when I installed the beta, and I had a whole bunch in my Lovelace of devices unavailable. So what happened was I previously moved away from ZigBee to MQTT over to a decon stick, and when I did that, I didn't remove, you know, like the living room downlights, the dining room downlights from my Home Assistant instance. And they were just sitting in the background. Mm. I just ignored them. When I upgraded, all the old entities came back and they actually replaced my primary entities. So everything was marked as unavailable. I had to go in through the developers and into the states page and then rename all the entities over again. So I think it's going to be a bit of a pain upgrading uh, to this release if you've got a lot of old integrations in the background that you haven't cleared out. So yeah, be very aware of this one. Right. I guess... Yeah, that's a, that's a little frustrating, but it is, I guess, for the right reasons-ish, I guess. I mean, one of the plus sides is now you won't see that annoying yellow exclamation mark in yeah. Lovelace, like, you know, entity unavailable, because it will always be yeah. marked as unavailable now, which is much better. Yeah, which I would much rather, because that the yellow just drives me up the wall whenever yeah. I see it. So. so does this mean that we won't need to do, hey, uh, I'm sorry if I set anybody's <laughs> off. Uh, there should be, there should be she who must not be named. I'll go with the uh, the Paul yeah. Hibbert mm. approach. Uh, she who must not be named. Um, sync my devices. Does that mean we won't have to do this anymore? Because if so, that's worth it. Totally. Uh, worth I think it. no. Well, so you the idea is that when you reap so when you previously when you would start up Home Assistant, uh, if the device was in an unknown state, those smart home devices like the Google Home and the Amazon Echo 
because the devices weren't available at startup, they wouldn't be pushed, you know, this latest state, you know, so mm-hmm. home systems wouldn't be able to say, you know, oh, the light's on for this particular device. Okay. And there's the potential that those smart home devices, like the, the speakers and the assistants, wouldn't know to go and refetch those devices. Now on startup, because they will always exist. It relates to the state, not the entities themselves then. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, so the states will always be pushed to those smart home devices now. Even so, even on the first startup, they'll be pushed as unavailable. And then when they become online, they'll be pushed back. We you know this state is on, this state is off or whatever. Because previously, if they weren't available, there would be the potential that they would get out of sync. And that's when you could see things like, you know, you would ask your, your little lady friend there, you know, oh, can you turn off this light? Oh, sorry, that device isn't responding at the moment. Right. So some other noteworthy updates, input fields now have reload services. So this is actually kind of handy. So similar to how automations and stuff, you can reload automation uh, without actually having to reboot Home Assistant or restart Home Assistant. Uh, same way if you uh, make any YAML updates to, uh, like, let's say an input mm-hmm. number, an input Boolean, you can now just uh, straight up just go in and just reload them without without having to restart Home Assistant. So that's actually kind of handy. I can't wait for this to be available to everything. Yeah, like, yeah. If I make a change to my config and not have to reboot, that would be ideal because right now there's like yes you can do it for automations and now these things yeah anything else you have to reboot which sucks yeah yeah um another big noteworthy update is for the amazon echo and this one was pretty buried in the release notes but i thought it was rather cool so the amazon echo can now announce the presence of someone so for example if you have a camera that's looking for a human for example with microsoft face or OpenCV. Or you have a presence sensor, you know, it's like your device trackers, you know, you you join the Wi-Fi network. You can now have that enabled on your Amazon Echo. And then you can get her little lady friend in there to announce things. For example, person has been detected at the front door. So HomeStreet can now power all that. Mm. So, for example, you could walk into a room, assuming that you've got the binary sensor set up correctly. You go, person has been detected in the gun safe or something like that. Well, you know, in the the panic room. Which is nice. So, so this it sounds like this is native to the Echo now. Whereas, it is, yeah, it's in a, the past you'd have to use Home Assistant, and then chain that with uh, the like the media, the player, media component player component or, or something. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so this is just straight up in Echo. That's kind of cool. Yeah, similar to I don't know if you have got a, a ring or something, but when someone rings the doorbell, you can have yeah. the Amazon Echo announce um, someone's at the front door. So it'll be pretty similar yeah. to that functionality. Yeah, yeah, which is which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, Alex, now uh, it's kind of where we get on to talking about you. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, so, so let's start out easy, kind of uh, how, uh, how long have you been using Home Assistant? I want to find out a little bit about your home. So, I'd say it's pretty much a year to the day, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. Pretty much. Really? My, my first foray into it was last Christmas. A good buddy of mine, also called Alex, lives just down the road. Yeah. Um, also a Linux server IO guy. That's how I know him. Um, yeah. He uh, he said, Alex, I found this channel on YouTube called Brett Automation, and he's got some cool LEDs. I want to put them on my Christmas tree. And so we ordered all the parts from Amazon. And because I build racing drones, I know a little bit about electronics and soldering and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so he asked for my help to do that. And so we put this thing together and we put it on his Christmas tree and it looked awesome. So I thought, cool, I'll do that too. So I ordered some parts for myself. And I was honestly happy just uh, controlling these things, 
over MQTT, like sending messages and stuff. And then I thought there must be a better way. Mm. And so I got into Home Assistant and yeah, that, that rabbit hole has been quite deep. <laughs> yeah, it usually is. <laughs> That's funny. Well, happy, <laughs> ha- happy Home Assistant anniversary. Um, Thank you. <laughs> That's funny. So what sort of like tech stack are you running if you've got MQTT already? Like, have you got, I'm assuming you've not got a Raspberry Pi that's powering your home assistant then. Um, I'm a, I run everything out of containers. Like everything I possibly can is yeah. out of a container. And yeah. uh, my, my server, such as it is, has grown over the years from being... So when I was back in England before I emigrated last year, I had a C27250 based um, ASRock board, which was one of those eight core Avaton ones mm-hmm. low power um nice. great great system um except for the fact it had a huge hardware floor in it so it was a ticking time bomb um so i sold that <laughs> unfortunately uh, and replaced it with a a pair of xeons um 20 lga 2011s um okay. running well, i ran proxmox for a little while and then i switched out to esxi because it supports terraform better um so for my day job I do a lot of stuff with Red Hat and OpenShift, um, so I'm constantly needing to build and tear down clusters all the time. So I, I needed something that had a good automation API. Um, so yeah, right right now it's a pair of it's a pair of Xeons running ESX. I um, it's about 300 watts at idle though. That's the downside. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to see your electricity building. Yeah, enterprise servers can be kind of hungry. I've got I've got one behind me too, and it's like it's it's pretty bad. That's all right. Um, so, so in terms of that, what uh, what what do you have in your actual smart home then? Well, I just moved house literally two three weeks ago, and um, so I've taken that opportunity to kind of push the reset button in a really yeah. positive way. Like I've had a year of learning. Like I had a Nest thermostat in in my last house. I had a Nest um, outdoor camera. All all these things that mm-hmm. require you know going back to the earlier segment r- require a cloud API to function. And then what did Nest do? They yanked the API from under my feet. And it's like, oh, suddenly uh, this thing I've paid yeah. quite a lot of money for, I can't use how I yeah. want to use it. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Yeah. So so what are you, what are you thinking of, uh, of putting in anything, anything in different, anything kind of self-made or just kind of standard components? What, what, do you, what do you want to do? So the first few projects I did, actually, the, the second day we were in this new house, I ran Ethernet everywhere so that I could... Nice. Um, you know, most people would be fixing out the faulty toilet flappers. No, Alex is running Ethernet. So <laughs> uh, I've put up a couple of IP cameras. Um, so we literally just recorded SSH 10 yesterday. Um, and that'll be coming out, uh, I think, 
I don't know when this episode's coming up, but a self-hosted 10 will be on the 16th of January. And, and in there, I talk a bit more about the IP cameras that I've used, but we look at the Rio link and the Amcrest ones, um, cause they're both supporting on and they'll work yep. just great with Shinobi. Mm. Um, so I don't need to buy a license for anything, which is nice also, but it's open source yeah. as well. So that's, that ticks a box for me. Other projects, thermostats. I just ordered a pair of Venstar T2000 thermostats and they have a local API integration. Nice. So um, they work pretty good. There's one bug that I've got open on Home Assistant right now, which I can't get them to leave away mode. They'll go into away mode, but they won't come out of away mode. So when my mm. presence detection picks me and my wife up in the house, etc. Um, currently, mm. they go into away mode, which is fine. Then we have to go and push the button on the wall like a caveman. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to uh, actually stand up and press that button. Um, oh no, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah, yeah it's the worst. Well, I, I could format a JSON request, and that would work as well. Send a curl request. <laughs> at that point, at that point, I'd rather walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, what else? Like, I'm just looking around. Um, those, those were the main ones to start with. Was the cameras, the thermostats, think things that will actually save me money, being yeah. the primary thing. Um, I just finished up getting a. I was looking at a Doctor Z's video about the Sonoff HV to automate garage door openers. Yeah. So I've I've just finished building one of those, and it works great. Really nice. great. Nice. That's awesome. Anything in lighting? I, I always find lighting is the best or the one yes. of my favorite things to automate. Yeah, I've actually ordered like half a dozen different light, light bulbs. So this this one here is a Tekin SP50, SB50. Uh, I put Tasmosa mm-hmm. on that, which, you know, it, it works okay. Like I'm trying to figure out what the MQTT profile needs to look like for that still. I can get it to turn on, but I can't get it to turn off right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> baby steps baby steps yeah yeah um also of course i brought some of the led strips from the last house with me and uh because this is my house and not a rental house i've put up some nice aluminium strips around each of the windows and i've got a few led strips and stuff like that and it it makes a huge difference like a diffuser or whatever yeah yeah absolutely it does yeah that's uh that's that's really cool actually it was funny because i wanted to do kind of the exact same thing phil and i were talking about this like a couple of years ago but i wanted to do the same thing outside of my house have a diffused kind of light uh led light and then mm. you can have it uh programmable and and all of that so which is really nice the other thing that i've just bought was uh, a couple of shelly 2.5s um so i can try and convert some of the old uh you know dumb light switches analog light switches into smart light switches yep because one of the things when my mother-in-law came to stay with us last year was i heard her shouting at google from what must have been five minutes to turn off the lights in the guest bedroom and i'm like yeah okay i need to fix that that's not that's not because i told her don't use the light switch yeah (laughs) yep definitely been there i have mask and tape over all my light switches because i'm a renter and you know, they have to stay on because otherwise the automations just get out of whack. But yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, getting guests how to use the smart home, like that's one of the biggest challenges. And I say that's one of the biggest parts of my home assistant journey of the last year is is realizing that remote control is good. And obviously without remote control, you can't do automation. Yeah. But in terms mm. of like how I how I interface with with the automation system, I thought the best way was an app okay, the Home Assistant app is useful and I do open it probably two or three times a day. But really where where the power of this stuff is, is once you start automating. 
and you start not needing to actually have to open the app in the first place. Yeah. That's that's totally when you've agree. really started to get all this stuff to work properly together. Yeah. And I think and Rohan and I have always said that, you know, voice and the app is an override for us. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's the house should do its own thing and but but again, it's it's that whole user experience part of it, right? It's it's exactly what you said about your mother-in-law which is Hey, great! Someone that's not used to all this stuff comes over to your house. I, like, I'm, I'm not going to hand each of my guests a tablet, going, "Here's how you utilize my house," <laughs> right? You know, it's it's people have been used to doing something for, let's call it, I don't know, fifty or a hundred years or whatever it is, however long. She's not quite that around. old. No, no, no. I, I mean, just in terms <laughs> of light switches and stuff, right? But uh, but you, you know, you're you're used to doing whatever right and now all of a sudden changing that behavior is not that they're they're they don't want to sometimes it's sometimes people are resistant to change but sometimes it's also hey my mind is just wired to do this this way so now you're telling me to do something else so it's going to take me some time to get used to it right so there's a bit of that training time or whatever you want to call it as well so but yeah that 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 exact piece is something for me at least I discovered really early on. Uh anytime uh this is before the girlfriend moved in whenever she came in to the house she's like I hate this. This is stupid. I why do I have to use this to turn off the lights and stuff? It's like okay. And 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 that actually drove a lot of my design de- decisions, mm-hmm. right? So I've got in my plans to build one of these HA switch plate things. I don't know if you've seen those. Yep. Yes, yeah. Um which just fit into a standard light receptacle and then they talk MQTT and you can do automations based on those. So it becomes a more, I don't want to say idiot proof. That's not what I mean. It's just, it's its a less yeah. Alex centric. Because obviously in my head, I know exactly how everything's plugged together, but my wife doesn't, my mother-in-law, my mum, whoever comes to visit, they don't. Yeah. And trying, yeah. To, trying mm-hmm. to get them to see that the, so, so home automation should be more convenient, not less convenient. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. So I'm, I, 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 I I completely agree. This is this is a topic I could go on for like hours on because this is actually something I'm actually really passionate about. But yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. Are you um are are you doing anything for around like presence detection or anything like that? I have a pair of Unify Wi-Fi access points, mm-hmm. so I think they are my primary Alex and wife are home uh, detectors. Mm-hmm. Yep. I also started using recently Life three hundred and sixty, which is um like a, a cloud-based GPS type show dots on a map type situation. Um, yeah. and, and those two components combined seem to be providing a pretty reliable wife and Alex are home or not type situation. Um, okay. There are a few false positives, maybe one or two a week, which is perfectly acceptable considering I'm not paying any money for that. Yeah. But the other thing, we, we uh, Chris and I went to go and see Wendell um, from Level 1 Techs in, uh, in August and one of the things he was mm-hmm. talking about was Bluetooth low energy beacons. He's got one in his mailbox. So when he yeah. drives up to his house, <laughs> the, his mailbox basically tells his house he's, that he's home and he starts doing some stuff based on that. I remember which, listening to that episode and I was like, this guy is crazy. Like, he how is. Like, quick must it act, yeah. right? Like for him to be able to drive past it and to be able to pick up his Bluetooth signature and say, yep, he's home. Like such a good well, idea. That's the thing, right? When it's all local, when it's all on your your uh, all on your land, and there's no ping times out to China yeah. and back or whatever, it's it's really fast. Like it's I can quick. click the button to change my thermostat, and I can watch it almost in real time turn on. You know, less yep. than less than a few yep. milliseconds. Yep. Well, that that's exactly it, right? And and that's kind of 
the nice thing about local control as well, obviously outside of lack of reliance on external parties, but it's, it's also faster. It's yeah. Better. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. Mm. Absolutely. I'm still tweaking the, the presence detection thing a bit because getting the logic right in node red to actually do everything that I want to do without repeating itself on occasion can be a bit tricky. Um, mm. So I found the hookups um, stuff was quite useful for that on, on YouTube. There is a really useful thing that he does. That he has a guest. Uh, I guess it must be a, a Boolean that when, when mm-hmm. someone's staying with me, I can turn off the presence detection just simply by saying there's a guest in the house, which means the house is always occupied. So that it turns, yeah. it, it, it prevents the house from going into sleep mode effectively, which is quite nice. Yeah, I've uh, I've done the same thing for pretty much since I started because I think the first week I I installed Home Assistant I had I did all these all these automations and stuff like that and then I realized when Buddy came over everything turned off because I because I left and he was still in the house and I was like ah okay maybe I should put it back on so yeah I learned that one quick too but 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 again it's a, it's the smallest things right like like that kind of yeah. thing as you build it out so. Um, have you, have you set up any other like routines or anything right now? Like any, any automations or anything? Yes. Uh, I, I've accidentally automated my dog. It's kind of funny. So my, right. my, my first yes. proper automation was the bedtime routine. So I can be like, Hey, she who must not be named it's bedtime. And, uh, that will kick off a routine, which sets all of the lights that are in my group, not bedroom to like 50%. So wherever you are in the house, if the light was previously on, it would go to half brightness. As well as announcing on all my Google Homes around the house, it's it's bedtime, the lights will be going out in 25 minutes. So right. what that does is it gives you a 25-minute timer, effectively, that you have to be in bed by, else you're going to be in darkness. <laughs> and so the nice <laughs> thing about that is it means several things. First of all, my dog hears the Google thing, and he goes, okay, it's bedtime, I'm going to go out the dog flap and sort myself out. Um, the second thing is it means mentally you're like, okay, I'm really going to bed now. Right. Like I need to actually put the dishwasher on. I need to actually put the laundry in, whatever it is. And then within that 25 minute window, I need to get into bed and actually stop reading Reddit and be ready to go to sleep. Yeah. 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 It it gives you some, like a routine to kind of be an everyday routine to be kind of normalized. Yeah. Your whole bedtime. So, so what I have it set to is the, the bedside lamps come on at 75% for 22 minutes then they dim to 25%. Okay. So that that's that's like our non-audible kind of visual cue that you've got two more minutes left. Yeah. And then after those yeah. final two minutes, you're in darkness. And it's, I tell you what, when you go and stay in a hotel or something and you can't just have your lights turn off automatically, it's <laughs> it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it is totally terrible. Yeah. Like you have to get up and turn the light off in the bathroom because you left it on. Like it's very inconvenient. It, it, that's that's the most relatable statement i think because every single time i'm in a hotel <laughs> and this is exactly what happened i'm in new york from tomorrow for a few days and same thing i know it's going to happen it happens every time <laughs> yeah you mentioned before alex that you are using that you're using node red so are you just using node red are you using any yaml automations or do you do everything that you want to automate through node red Great question, because that's been something that's changed fairly recently. Um, so I was I was a fully YAML automation guy because I, I like code, you know, doing Kubernetes for a living. I, mm-hmm. I like YAML. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty big into Ansible. Um, I, I love all of those kind of YAML-based systems. So Home Assistant being in YAML was like, 
music to me music to my yeah. ears um but what i found pretty quickly was with the yaml stuff the edge cases get very complicated very quickly because it's only done sequentially it's it's quite hard to do yes loops and forks and all that kind of stuff with proper logic i mean back what, what five or six years ago I, I did do a bit of python development and so my my brain kind of understands uh, a little bit about programming and that kind of stuff so when I get to a certain situation, I'm like, I'd like a case statement here. You know, I've got 15 different possibilities that could happen. Right. I need a way to be able to sort through them. And unfortunately, the YAML for me just wasn't quite flexible enough in, in several situations. Um, so then I started looking at Node-RED and, and the learning curve was pretty steep. And a lot of the examples on YouTube, again, are very, they're very specific to that specific person's use case and it, there, there aren't yeah. a lot of great beginner friendly guides but i managed to find this one particular guy that did something around node red to uh create an escape room and so he had a timer going and that kind of stuff so that got me thinking because i'm i'm always leaving my soldering iron on like i it's a bit of a dangerous mm, habit yeah yeah um yeah. and so i thought well what if i just had one of these arcade buttons that i push and that will turn it on for five minutes. And every time I push it, it adds five minutes to the timer. Oh, that's kind of so cool. I, I started trying to figure out how to make one of those. And I got a, I've got a prototype working. I've got one of those little OLED screens. Uh, and I wrote some stuff in ESP Home YAML and flashed that onto it. Um, and then using Node-RED, there's a bunch of different stuff that receives button clicks that does stuff based on whether it's a short one or a long one or whatever it is. Um, so... I would say to people that Node-RED is really, really powerful, but there's a bit of a learning curve and be, sure. be prepared to lose a weekend or two to it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, how do you, do you, do you run all of this on Has.io? And I know, I know you said you're a huge Docker user, so I'm guessing you just have a Docker VM spun up with a bunch of stuff. Bunch of I used to. Yeah. I used to I used to run Home Assistant out of a container. Okay. Uh, and then I was watching Dr. Z's poke around with Hasio and the uh, community yeah. plugins and just I was just looking at it from a holistic point of view of to saying, look, this this thing needs to be bulletproof. If I'm gonna put more than just my lighting in this, which yeah. this was three or four months ago, uh all all I had in there at that point was lighting and a thermostat. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um and the thermostat was still backed by the Nest API. So if, if I screwed up Home Assistant I could still go to the Nest app and, and change right. it there. So I had a backup. Mm. Um, and so the realization I came to with this new house that I've just moved into is that, all right, I need a dedicated machine that's going to be on a UPS, that's going to have backups, that's going to do all the rest of it. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, let's let's dry run this by doing HASIO in a VM on ESXi because I can take snapshots of that really easily. Yep. I could do live migrations if I want to, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I came across on the serverbuilds.net forums, there was a little HP uh, Celeron system um, for $90, a HP system for $90. Nice. Um, so I bought one of those, and uh, that's going to be my dedicated Home Assistant box moving forward. So I'll put ESX on there, and then I'll have uh, Home Assistant only as the only VM on there and um, manage it remotely from the vSphere downstairs. That should be should work pretty well, I think. Nice. That's all right. Yeah, and you'll have that, you know, fully UPS, and it'll be constantly on. There'll be no interruptions. Yeah, and I think in terms of um, so so right now in terms of backups, I scripted a little thing that does uh, send the tar file back to my NAS every night, and then a uh, duplicati that's running on my NAS goes back up to Google Drive. So right. 
ultimately it ends up in Google Drive, all my backups, but it goes via my local NAS first. Because I know there are plugins that can do Google Drive natively, but I'd prefer to keep local. And then once it's on my NAS, I know to mm. back up my NAS. So I don't have 15 different random backup things going to Google. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you don't like have different you know, authentication keys or something that are all linked to your Google account. It's just the one access to your Google account from there. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I liked, I liked the container, don't get me wrong, particularly with the, the restart times. So when you're talking about restarting for config changes earlier, the container, it's a few seconds. With Hass.io, it can be a minute or two on occasion, yeah. Yeah. which is fine, but, it, you know, it could be better. Um, yeah. I, I really like Hass.io, though, and I don't think I'll be going back to the container on its own Yeah. simply because I can just add new components. Like I wanted to add VS Code, done. I want to add Sunweb for all the Tasmota devices, one click, you know. It's not that I don't know mm. how to set these things up as containers on standalone systems. It's it's just that it's all in one place. And when I want to back something up, I just back up that VM and I'm good. Well, and, and sometimes the convenience of that is just being able to go, click, okay, I have no red. Click, okay, I have whatever that is, right? It's mm-hmm. um, that that just, again, the point of automation is to, is to save time. and It means and, I spend and, more time automating and less time fighting with right. a compose file or whatever it is. Well, it, that's that's exactly it. And every time, that that's always what it is for me, right? Is, you know, spend 20 hours trying to figure out a compose file to get that proper and then spend an hour to actually configure whatever application that is, right? Yep. So, mm. yep. Yeah, I hear that. I Maybe hear that. I need to move over to HassOS and do like a generic Linux install. You, you sort of, I'm, I'm liking, like I understand the appeal of, you know, just one-click install, but. It can be a bit annoying sometimes like when you ssh into it you get sshed into a container rather than onto the host os mm. yeah so you know the the sysadmin in me is like well what's going on there's a layer in the way um, yeah but actually yeah, that layer is helpful because that that abstraction is what keeps things just ticking over you can't tinker you can't change everything mm. you know and ultimately that's what breeds stability i think yeah. So when my, on my Raspberry Pi, I actually, so I, I have two instances, right? One is my main instance on, on, and on a VM running in Docker. Uh, the other one is for more of my physical stuff. Like just, again, I have a, uh, Z-Wave radio as an example, or sorry, a Zigbee radio as an example, uh, which obviously I need some physical medium to connect the radio to. So that, that's what my Raspberry Pi is running. I actually started out with HasOS and I actually found that, again, the sysadmin in me is like, I don't have enough control, blah, blah, And then it actually ended up getting, for whatever reason, I think I had a power outage or something like that, and it must have been writing or something, and I actually got a corruption. And instead of, like, I, I found that it was taking way too long to be, you know, to find uh, what's corrupt, where it's corrupt, or, you know, do any of that kind of stuff. So instead, I was just like, all right, you know what? I'm just moving over. So um, just whacked uh, Ubuntu on there and uh, and just built Has.io from that. I found that was a lot more stable because now I have, for me at least, uh, again with my system and background, I have a bit of best of the both uh, best of both worlds, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and the other nice thing about Has.io is that it means that if any of my friends want to get into home automation and yep. they're not neck beards, <laughs> they can they can do it you know they don't, they don't have to suddenly because when i had a container before i used um i used ansible to automate the installation of new configs and delete the old ones and right. do a config check and all that kind of stuff and like i appreciate that that's not a normal person thing to do right most people don't want to have to write ansible to control their home assistant 
Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Automate your automation, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But that's awesome. You said before, Alex, that you had like, you know, you've got a lot of devices there on Wi-Fi and you're using MQTT. I'd like to get your take on how, you know, especially in the sort of self-hosted sort of thing, what's your feeling on devices that are Wi-Fi based? Do you, I'm personally, I try and keep as much off of Wi-Fi when it comes to my smart home. So I prefer, you know, ZigBee, Z-Wave because I don't want, you know, some cheap Chinese manufactured device having access to my Wi-Fi and causing all, you know, Wi-Fi degradation. Do you have any similar thoughts or do you prefer Wi-Fi bases because you can get under the hood and, and tinker with it yourself? Another great question. Yeah, it's something I've given not a huge amount of thought to, but I definitely thought about it when mm-hmm. I bought these thermostats last week because um, mm. thermostats in particular are quite good at working on Z-Wave and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything that isn't Wi-Fi. Whilst I tell a lie, I do have a few Philips Hue bulbs, which I guess are Zigbee, technically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the hub yeah. is is on the network, so I guess that's why I think of it that way. Um, so my opinion is that because I've got a pair of high-end Unify access points, so I've got the ACAP Pros, yep. I have, looking in my PF Sense, I have around about 100 devices on my LAN right now, which is a lot. I'll appreciate that. I'd say about 70 of mm. those are Wi-Fi devices. I mean, I run Ethernet absolutely everywhere I possibly can. So, like, anything that's going to be using a lot of bandwidth, like my TV or right. my uh, desktop or whatever it is, I will run Ethernet there so that I can not worry about Wi-Fi performance. The only thing I need Wi-Fi for is my laptop and my phone, really. Um, I've yeah. taken my Nest outdoor camera off the Wi-Fi uh, and my Nest indoor camera off the Wi-Fi. They're, they're now on eBay, so I'm getting rid of those. Nice. Um, mm, so, okay. again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting rig- rid of the stuff that uses a lot of bandwidth, but I'm not finding any issues with ESP8266 devices whatsoever. They, they use kilobytes a day. Yeah, next to nothing. And it, it really is fine, you know. Um, I've got some Tekin SP20 smart plugs on my washing machine and my dishwasher and that kind of stuff. So I can monitor energy usage there and they, they're just fine. You know, so my, my opinion yeah. is if you've got solid Wi-Fi, which for me, that means a pair of unified access points that were like a hundred pounds each, it's just not an issue, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and Wi-Fi is so important to your general quality of life. Like when you sat on a browse Reddit anywhere in the house, you know, you got to think about these things. It's important. So invest in your Wi-Fi and, mm. and, and do it right, you know, so. Yeah, and, and I mean, I can I can talk about hours for this, but there's also, again, you don't want to oversaturate your Wi-Fi, things like that, right? So you use, you use other technologies to kind of spread out that load. So if you have like, you know, if you have 10,000 devices, you don't want it all on one access point, right? So True. It's unlikely again, I'm going to have enough Wi-Fi devices though. I mean, you know. Right, so. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've just not found it to be an issue, you know. No, and 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 same same for me in my uh, in my household, right? So it's uh, I it's funny because I I use a lot of both Zigbee and Z-Wave. Um, I'm primarily Wi-Fi still, and and the main reason for that is to me Zigbee and Z-Wave just you know dirties up the air for my Wi-Fi stuff. <laughs> I know it's, it's a really bad uh, bad way to look at it, but. It is what it is, right? So I suppose one thing that I've been thinking about getting around to is uh, putting everything on its own VLAN mm-hmm. where it doesn't have internet access. It, it can only speak the MQTT protocol, for example, across to the main mm. systems. But, you know, every device that I have right now is on its own SSID that's 2.4 gig only. 
So anything that needs a lot of bandwidth is on five, and there's probably only three or four devices that are on five gigahertz. The rest are all on that 2.4. So yeah. yes, the, the 2.4 might be a little congested, but it's never going to impact my main devices. So. No, exactly. And and yeah, exactly. And as long as you're powering them, because you know, I think Wi-Fi takes a lot of power, so you can't you know have battery Wi-Fi door sensors, for example, unless you're wiring them in. So that's where I think those other protocols Correct. would... But then, like, yeah. yeah, and and the the other protocols are also a little bit lighter. So uh, again, Zigbee, Z-Wave, and stuff. So like again, I'll use your example of a door sensor, Phil. So when you open a door, that time to get get back to the base station and then get processed and and what have you, and you know, fire off a notification or whatever, that's typically a little bit quicker, right? When you use um, again, Zigbee, Z-Wave, Thread, whatever, mm. whatever protocol. So long as whatever it is doesn't have to come out of deep sleep, right? Right. Yes. And, and then it can be slower. Yeah. Yeah. So no, normally I find that those those kind of devices don't go into deep sleep just because the battery lasts longer. It's because the radio is not that hefty, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Unlike Wi-Fi. So the other nice thing about using only ESP based stuff is that it's cheap. I yeah. can I can order a D1 Mini from China for like a buck eighty each. Yeah, which is handy. What is the craziest thing that you want to automate with one of those D1 Minis? Like that you've got ticking in the back of your mind, like, yeah, I'm going to do that one day. Uh, well, not with the D1 Mini, but I did see a Domino's Pizza integration the other day, which made me laugh. <laughs> I could just have a buy me pizza button okay, on my I desk. Like it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like one of those Amazon uh, buttons, right? Like the, like the, I need more Tide or whatever. It's just, I need pizza. So the craziest one would be probably Dog Flap or something like that. But then there's the Sure Pet thing, which yeah. maybe I could look at. But, yeah. <laughs> um, Changing Alex's life. Maybe mailbox sensor. So when someone opens my mailbox, because that's that's something that's really cool about the US is that they have outdoor mailboxes, whereas in the UK, every, they put all the letters through your front door. Yeah, uh, of course, uh, just But I quite like the mailbox fact, system yeah. over here. Um, so may, maybe some kind of a sensor in there that detects that the mail is open. I've got a vibration sensor in my mailbox. It works ah. pretty well. The other strange one that I saw on Reddit, I think was yesterday, was... Uh, Someone got a toilet roll holder sensor. I saw so, that. <laughs> a pressure sensor. So maybe I could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say, hey, you need to go fill up the toilet roll. So yeah, I, I saw that. On, I think I saw it on Twitter yesterday. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. <laughs> Are you pumping any of your data into like reporting tools like Grafana or Prometheus? Yep, yep. So I use the InfluxDB nice. integration built right into Home Assistant and then ship that off because uh, mm-hmm. I use InfluxDB with Telegraph to monitor all my Linux systems anyway. Yep. So I just had a Grafana right. and an Influx going already, so I just shipped them off over there. Nice. That's perfect. All right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining, and congratulations on one year with Home Assistant. Uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more about your smart home setup and, and what you guys are working on? Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I think we'll be I'll be on again at some point, maybe, talking about some other stuff. Yeah, we, we would love to get you back and do yeah. like a deep dive into self-hosting everything. But yeah, in the meantime, obviously, selfhosted.show is where you can find the podcast. Uh, I write a lot of my stuff up on blog.ktz.me and you can find a lot of my home automation nonsense on there uh, i'm at ironic badger on twitter so you'll between those three places i think you'll do a good job of finding me and of course we'll leave links in the show notes as usual awesome thank you guys thanks very much cheers cheers mate cheers 
If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io. Thank you.